Kentucky has a massive surplus, or does it? I guess it depends on what you mean by surplus. The Kentucky Lantern publishes an article about how mean Republicans are destroying our libraries. And finally, I'll cover exactly what I did to upset the left this week. We'll have all that and more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. But first, please make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, follow the page. If you're not, make sure you've liked the page, share the page with others. If you're on Twitter, uh, retweet, comment. If you're on Facebook, comment, share. All those great things helps spread the word and spread what we're doing here. And then as always, you can listen to this on all major podcasting platforms like Stitcher, uh, iHeart, Google, Apple, Spotify, all those great places. And you can listen on the go easily compared to if you're listening on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, where you have to leave your apps open. Well, you can just simply play that on your car rides and be able to stay up to date on all the news and commentary that I have to offer. But without further ado, let's dig into it. Oh, I am Andrew Cooperetter, by the way, the host. Anyways, without further ado, let's get into it. So on the campaign trail, we've heard Bashir repeatedly say that Kentucky has a record high surplus. You'll hear it in his campaign ads. You'll even hear Republicans echoing the same thought. In fact, you can hear it in the politicians' voices. They're very, very excited about the surplus. And this year's Kentucky surplus was a record at one point four billion and you can tell it's truly burning a hole in Andy's pocket. Here's an outtake from his speech where he was announcing the surplus. Time with a lot of potential out there to grab a hold of and make sure we make this state everything we've always dreamed of, that we turn our brain drain into a brain gain, and we ensure that no matter how big our kids dream, they can chase those dreams right here in Kentucky. Very exciting. You can tell he's just ready to spend that money. It's an exciting time, he says. The state has taxed us more than expected. And of course, that is something to celebrate if you love big government. But Andy there, he isn't talking about giving him it back. In fact, I don't think this has crossed the minds of even Republicans in power in the legislature either. We know a few years ago, the Senate thought about putting forward a bill that would just give everybody who paid income tax 500 bucks back. But of course, that's a wealth redistribution plan. That is an actual tax return plan because a tax return plan would be percentage based based upon how much in taxes you paid, getting bigger refunds compared to those who paid less in taxes. Giving us flat stipend would just be wealth redistribution. But I don't think this is really costing a whole lot of leadership's minds. But let's cross our fingers that perhaps they decide to maybe give us some money back, though I think what we can best expect is for them to lower the income tax rate again as a part of the Republicans' tax plan that requires the state to pull in more and more money. But the question still stands. Do we actually have a surplus? Well, it depends on how do you define that. Um, do we make more than expected? Sure. But does that now mean it's time to just spend it? Is it like having a surplus in your home? Well, let's actually compare that. Let's compare that to as if this is your home's budget. So let's say your household made 100K a year total. 
and you budgeted yourself based upon that 100K right down to the penny. And then suddenly you realize you had actually brought in 110K. So you have an extra $10,000. So what do you do? Do you go on vacation? Do you buy some new appliances you don't really need? What would you do with that 10K if you said, I don't know, had 100K in debt as well? As much as you made in a year is what you are in debt because that is what we have in Kentucky. We're about $40 billion in debt and unfunded pension liabilities. That is the amount that we owe to the pension system moving forward that we don't actually know exactly how we're going to pay for it unless we contribute more and more money into the pension system. And I hear people all the time throwing a fit about our pension system. I hear people, uh, I've seen posts online where they're talking about how unfair it is that the taxpayer is contributing into this pension system for employees. But at the end of the day, this is what we have before us. And it's what we had before us because it was a agreement we made when we hired them. I understand you're mad about how much we're paying and basically benefits to prior and, and current employees, if you look at it that way, but that is what we hired them based upon. That was the agreement. Now, I don't like government pensions as a whole. I really don't know if I like pension plans completely. I understand that the idea of a defined benefit versus a defined contribution uh, really excites some people because they'll get out. But every time I've ever seen a government-esque pension plan, whether you look at the national level at like Social Security or here at the state level with our state pensions, what you see is mismanagement and underfunding. But uh, $41 billion, that is about $40 billion. That is almost exactly what Kentucky's yearly budget is, including all entitlement spending as well. The state administers a lot of pass-through things like Medicare, Medicaid, uh, food stamp programs, those types of things. That isn't included in our state's actual budget, which you'll see them actually budgeting is more on the general fund side of things, which is about, uh, well, according to this, about $15 billion or so this year. A few years ago, it was $12.5 billion. It's raised by uh, a fair amount, three or so billion. That's almost a 25% increase just over the last several years, something that you'll hear Republicans excited about. But once again, I'm a smaller government Republican, unlike some people. And so that means I don't celebrate the government bringing in more money and spending more money. I want it to spend less because I see how much waste is going on. So let's say you, you, you make 100K a year, you're 100K in debt, and then you get $10,000. So do you have a surplus or not? Do you use that money to pay down your debt? Or should you buy a refrigerator? Should you take 10K and give it, I don't know, to your neighbor, Frank? So he might build a successful business that, well, you don't actually own a percentage of. You may get a few percentage points from if it is successful, which is, by the way, something our state does all the time when it hands out these cash money to businesses in order to try to convince them to open up here in Kentucky. So maybe pension obligations, you don't want to think about that. You don't want to think about the giant $100,000 there. Maybe it's too big or you disagree with it. Um, and I mean, you know, I hear you, I see it, I disagree with you, but but let's just say pensions aren't your thing. So we'll put our pension liability to the side. So let's go back. Now imagine you have the extra 10K and let's pretend that your utility bill, something you, you just, you're supposed to do, your basics of a household paying your utility bill is about $5,000 a year. 
Now let's imagine you could take maybe about 6K of your 10K and permanently reduce your utility bill from now until the end of time by 8% or reducing your bill by about $400 a year. Meaning over the next 20 years, you've reduced your bills by a total of $8,000. And by the way, if you ever get into a pinch down the road, you can just pull out that 6K again what would you do? Would you pay that or not? Does that sound more your speed? Sound like more something you would do? What am I comparing this to? Well, in Kentucky, we're spending 8% of our transportation budget on servicing debt. Here you go. Here's the road fund appropriations. This is what they're spending our money on. Uh, you'll see that um, about uh, a billion of it goes into our actual highways. Um, revenue sharing. So that's money that they have to give to other people like KSP that comes from the road fund that then they use to service that. Uh, you'll see it's about 372 million. General admin and support is 81 million. And then aviation, capital projects, so on and so forth, make up small chunks. But you'll see an 8% chunk is made up by debt service or around 132 million dollars a year. You'll see that in that pink down there on the pie chart. And so that is pretty equivalent to like your utility bill. It's the roads. One of the most basic functions that we all agree that government should do. We all agree that government, generally speaking, should be spending money on the roads. So you've got a $132 million you're spending a year on debt servicing. And that debt is issued mainly through bonds. And we could pay them off early. And then if we were to pay that off early, we'd have another $132 million of pure money to spend more on our roads. That would actually increase the amount of money being spent on our roads by about 13, 14% without having to ever raise taxes on the citizens. Certainly, that'd be a great thing to do. We'll pay down debt and then we're providing 14% more money to the roads. What a great idea. We'd never even have to raise taxes, nicer roads. Infrastructure is something we should all get excited about, but that isn't what Bashir is talking about doing either. In fact, every year he tries to spend every dollar a surplus they have if he had it his way. And so he's talking about spending that money on things like universal pre-K. I've gone over this in a prior podcast. His numbers on universal pre-K are unconvincing to me. I think it costs significantly more, but that is about proportional um, to what he's talking about here, spending money on something like universal pre-K. And what that would be like doing is it would be like, uh, you know, cause you're throwing more kids into a broken educational system. So it'd be kind of like taking your 10 K and using it on a down payment on the loan to go ahead and get your car, maybe some rims, a nice paint job, a new stereo system, throw up a garage to store your car in. Meanwhile, that car has 300,000 miles on it and a blown head gasket. Will it run? Maybe, but it's just limping along kind of like and on top of that, you've now added on more bills because you've added on more servicing of a program, of a new program of debt into your future, which will cut down on the amount of surplus you could have to continue paying down debt within your household. Now, this is real basic common sense stuff. This is the kind of stuff that, you know, you'll hear Dave Ramsey talking about that when you have surplus in your home, you use it to pay down debt. So you get your rainy day fund, which should be equal to about three months of uh, what the state spends uh, in a month. So three times what a state spends in a month, we have more than that. 
And then you, well, I don't know if we have quite more than that in our rainy day fund or not. But anyways, you would save that up and then you start paying down your debt. That would be the most fiscally conservative, fiscally uh, smart idea that you could do. But that isn't what Bashir is pushing. And going back to the pension system. You know, you have a surplus in your home, great, but we are heading into troubling economic times. Just like in your household, you may be doing what you can to protect yourself from these troubling economic times. But looking at our pension system, as the markets will drop over time, as we head into these uh, uh, troubling times, I'm not a financial expert, but I think all of us can agree that something bad is about to happen on our markets. And if it's anything like 2008, we're going to have our pension in a similar problem that it had in 2008, where it was almost bankrupt because simply we hadn't put enough into the pension over time. There's too much unfunded liability. Then on top of that, they then have to pull money out of uh, the investments to pay then the pension benefits. Remember, when it comes to investing, you only realize a loss when you sell a stock. So if you buy a stock at 10, it drops to eight, and then you're forced to sell it, you've lost two. But if you buy a stock at 10, it drops to eight, but then it comes back up to 12, and then you sell it, you've made $2. And so in much the same way, if we're forcing our pension systems in a down market to cash out stocks in order to pay uh, the beneficiaries, that isn't great for our long-term fiscal health. So you'd like to be able to preempt yourself against that and prepare for that. But that isn't what obviously Bashir is talking about doing. Paying off debt? No. I don't even think the Republicans are heavily talking about that. They did put in more than uh, just the suggested amount into our pension system in the last budget, uh, something that uh, is a delightful change of pace. And maybe they say over time, we'll start to pay that off. And I've heard legislators saying that. However, the problem is, once again, as we're heading into this fiscal cliff, will it be enough? But Bashir, he talks about we need to be making investments. But there's a very fundamental idea here that Bashir is missing. And that is government doesn't make investments. Government doesn't make profit. That's how it can't make investments. When government talks about making quote unquote investments, what they're hoping is that what they put money into will lead to more surplus for them in the future. Does this ever turn out to be less taxes? No, they never lower the overall tax burden. They're just hoping that they can increase the amount of money they're bringing in through these investments, bring more people into the state, bring in uh, uh, more jobs so they can tax more people, so they can generate more money into the state's system in order to make things work. But government isn't supposed to make a profit. It never has been. Government can only do one of two things when it has extra money, return it to you, or obviously spend it. And if they're not going to return to you, they're always going to spend it. They don't necessarily save a lot. And they don't, once again, they don't make profits. Government is supposed to break even. In the perfect world, the exact amount you tax is the exact amount government spends and providing you the exact amount, amount of services that government should deliver. Now, of course, there's a big debate over what should government deliver in services? Is this necessary? Is that necessary? Generally, I think government spending money on things like DEI training certainly should be stopped. But then again, we spend millions upon millions of dollars on that every year. So government isn't actually like our household. Our government's goal shouldn't be to make a surplus like your households may be. Government's goal shouldn't be to make more and more money 
like your households should be. Government, a conservative government led by conservative people, which is what you'd hope the legislature of Republicans would be, would be focusing on how to reduce our spending, reduce our tax burden on the citizens while streamlining and providing the services that they need to, like roads, in the most efficient and servicing way as possible for the citizens. Well, coming up, the Kentucky Lantern published a commentary piece focused on the Lawrenceburg Library and then ties it in to how evil Republicans are destroying libraries all across Kentucky. We'll have all that coming up next on The Andrew Cooper Show. The Kentucky Lantern is a slightly lesser-known online news publication. I don't believe they do a paper, paper, like a paper newspaper. If they do, I haven't seen one. So if they do do one, I'm sorry, but I believe they're just an online news publication, a little bit lesser known, not as well known clearly as things like the Courier Journal or Herald Leader. And I don't know if they actually have ever had a conservative working for them. Speaking of, I don't know if any major news publication in Kentucky actually has a conservative working for them. The closest we get to a somewhat neutral journalist, in my opinion, is is probably Austin Horn, who works for the Herald Leader. He's a political reporter there. He definitely isn't a conservative, I don't believe, but in all my time speaking with him, he's never made it clearly obvious where he stands on things the way a good reporter probably should be. And more importantly, unlike some other reporters, I've never felt he's shown any kind of open scorn for my viewpoints. I have no idea what he feels internally, but at least I've never felt like he's purposely trying to misrepresent or attack a viewpoint due to simply uh, his own political beliefs. But I'm not going to pretend he's necessarily on my side. Um, I think he just tries to check bias as best as he can, and he's a little bit better at it than a lot of other people or at least he's honest about it. But anyways, the Kentucky Lantern, however, has published this commentary piece that starts off with this, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. The library director swiveled her chair to the right, reached into a desk drawer, and showed me her gun. Have you always carried a gun, I said? No, she said, demonstrating how she tucks it up underneath her arm when she walks to and from the library parking lot. I started carrying a gun on June 2nd, the day after we put up the pride display and all the threatening phone calls. Now, first, I do have a question about gun safety here. Um, when she talked about tucking it up underneath her arm, um, generally speaking, I don't know, you know, I don't know if the library was open. I don't know if this was a, a quiet time at the library, um, but generally speaking, general gun safety is you shouldn't be waving a gun around. And based on how she demonstrates how she tucks it underneath her arm, I'd imagine then she'd be tagging anybody behind her with that barrel while handling the gun. Uh, that doesn't make me feel super comfortable based upon those words uh, about the gun safety of the situation. And if that is the case, I hope she does seek out good gun safety because I want her to continue carrying a gun because I think carrying a gun is a great thing. But first, what does she mean by threatening calls? We've seen what the left calls threatening, right? They've called Trump flags, American flags, parents speaking out, um, you know, at, at meetings, and the list goes on and on. 
Secondly, what is this librarian doing putting up a pride display in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky? Did she expect the people there to quietly accept that their tax dollars were being used to display a political message they find so uh, objectionable? I mean, I love how lefties like to pretend like pride isn't a political message because it quite clearly is. It'd be the equivalent of the Lexington Library putting up a Trump display. I mean, just imagine how upset people would be. I, I literally yesterday just covered how a police department, an entire police department is having to undergo a Maoist DEI struggle session because someone posted a video with Try That in a Small Town playing in it. I mean, it. what is she thinking there? Now, once again, I do think it's great she's carrying a gun. I want to encourage everybody to carry a gun. It's a great thing to have a tool that can protect you from threats yourself. But you can tell the political uh, disposition of the writer right away. She talks about carrying a person, a, a person carrying a gun as if it's a bad, horrible thing. Later in the story, the writer here, uh, Terry Carter, I believe a woman, goes on to connect the pride display to the appointment of the so-called book banner Bobby Proctor. To the library board. Now you're going to hear tons of mashing of teeth all over Kentucky from library boards in the coming years. Why? Well, it used to be that library boards were accountable to no one. They were self-appointing and more importantly, they could even levy taxes themselves and then decide how to spend those tax dollars with absolutely no influence whatsoever from the voters or the taxpayers because they were self-appointing and nobody on the board was being appointed by people who were elected. Now, recently, the state legislature uh, changed that law um, so that the library boards were appointed by the fiscal court, people who are elected by the county. And the problem of, of the self-appointing board was quite obvious. If you take a county like Jasmine County, Kentucky, you have a library that's sitting on literally tens of millions of dollars in their accounts. You want to talk about a surplus that's quite a surplus. And so many times when you come into these towns like in Jasmine, the library is the nicest government building they have. A library in Jesmond County has four 3D printers, has tons of computers everywhere, tons of meeting rooms, each one with over $20,000 in AV systems in there, projectors and, and uh, sound systems and mics and, and the pull-down screens, all of that very nice and has several meeting rooms with all those kinds of amenities. The Jesmond County Library even has a CNC room and a studio room. All really, really nice amenities to have in your town, but when your roads are bumpy, your police uh, are underfunded, your fire departments are underfunded, and in Jesmond County as of 2022, uh, due to personal knowledge, I know they're from knowing the corner there, Hugh, um, the corner in Jesmond County didn't even have a permanent walk-in cooler to store bodies in there using a temporary cooler. And in their exam room, they didn't have running water. So while the library has all these nice amenities that are probably hardly going to use, like a 3D printer, like CNC machines, like studio rooms, you have basic government services like corners without running water. In fact, the public library in Jesmond County pulls in more revenue off property tax than 
the county government does. Now, when citizens can only handle so much tax burden and you have somebody here unaccountable pulling in more tax revenue than the county does, it certainly is very hard to balance the needs of the community with whatever needs the library thinks it has. Having all those amenities and sitting on tens of millions of dollars, I think they got out of control. But this isn't just Jesmond County. As I said, you can go into any county all over the state, which you'll see time after time is the library in that county is the nicest building in the county. I traveled all across the state when I was running statewide, and I visited a lot of libraries because a lot of meetings were being held in the libraries. And every time I rolled into town, I didn't have to check a map. I knew immediately which building was the library building because it was always the nicest and newest building in town while some areas are struggling with roads and running water. And so what did the... the state legislature do? Well, they put in place uh, a fiscal court system where they would appoint people to these library boards. So why did Bobby Proctor particularly elicit so much hate from the author of this article, Terry? Well, because he's a pastor who protested outside the library regarding books they were carrying. So the author, disingenuously, Terry here, calls him a book banner because he dared to voice what he wanted his tax dollars to be spent on. And so disingenuous to call people who are fighting on what uh, books are in public libraries, what books are in public school libraries, book banners, because that's not what they're doing at all. The library cannot possibly carry every single book known to mankind. They simply have to pick and choose what books they carry. And any books a library isn't carrying, are we going to say that that library is banning that book? No, of course not. And all this person is doing is voicing how they feel their tax dollars should be spent, what books their tax dollars should be spent on rather reasonable thing to do. Can you still get the books that he's talking about? Sure, you can order them off Amazon. You can go to a bookstore. You can obtain the book if you really want it. You're just not going to be able to get it for, for free from the library because the community's tax dollars aren't going to fund your agenda. So Terry is upset that the dirty book banner was appointed onto the library board instead of the people that the library board wanted on there because diversity of thought doesn't matter. Talk about diversity, but of course diversity of thought doesn't cross their mind. It's not hard to see why the fiscal court wanted Bobby to balance out this library board, the kind of people who would spend taxpayer dollars in Lawrenceburg in Anderson County on pride displays and inappropriate and controversial far left gender theory books. But, that doesn't stop the author from calling the Bobby appointment cronyism simply because the fiscal court didn't pick the person that the library wanted on the board. And in the meeting, the fiscal court uh, was cited as saying, I'm going to make sure they stand for what I stand for, the people that they're associating to the board. They said, if my name's attached to it, I want to make sure they stand for what they stand for. And the author mentions that as if it's some sort of awful, horrible thing, forgetting the fact that this fiscal court member is elected by the people. And he's elected by them to represent their opinions and their values. And he doesn't want to appoint somebody who's going to spend their tax dollars on things he disagrees with. So simply, Terry says, well, this must be corrupt because the people with the viewpoints I like didn't get appointed to the board. The wild-eyed leftists are no longer the only on the board, so clearly that must be corrupt. Instead of the old system, where the board just self-appointed 
for its vacancies, selecting exactly the people who already agree with him. Which one sounds more democratic to you? Diversity of thought or a uniform ideas dictating how tax dollars are spent without any accountability to those who are actually paying for it? She ends the article by saying, meanwhile, thanks to the Republican supermajority in Frankfurt, local elected officials can appoint their cronies to local boards based on their beliefs. Yeah, that's generally how it works. Anyways, <laughs> thanks to Kentucky Republicans, we now have a book-banning preacher on our library board. And due to the ignorant vitriol they stirred up with Senate Bill 150, the library director carries a gun to work. Thanks, Kentucky Republicans, the dream of moving to a small rural Kentucky town for slower pace, peace and quiet no longer exists. It's so funny for them to say because of Republicans saying you can't steal that person's money, you can't take that tax person's dollar, uh, those taxpayers' dollars and spend it on this and that, whatever you think is great that they disagree with is somehow interrupting your quiet, peaceful small town. Apparently, towns are only quiet and peaceful as long as Terry, the author here, gets to take your money and spend it how she wishes without you having any input at all. Well, you can have input just as long as you agree with her. Well, coming up, I'm going to go over exactly what I did to upset the left this week. All right. So this week I posted this right here. So I, I screenshotted um, something I got from, so I, I'm a part of this email group. They email out people, experts that you can interview on your podcast. And they have a list of like 15 or so experts. And then you can invite them onto your podcast to interview them. And um, frankly, they're all mostly leftists and people I'm not interested in. I actually found my first conservative political person, um, a uh, director with Americans for Prosperity. So I sent him a request. We'll see if he gets on. But this week, the featured expert that was sent to me was this Susan Anderson. And she says that she wants to talk about what companies must do to attract and keep Gen Z and millennial employees happy and revenues rising in a shifting job market. Susan Anderson. And for those of you listening to the podcast form, you see a picture of her and she is a older lady. Uh, I would say probably in her sixties. Um, and she's got short cropped hair that is colored purple. And I captioned it. Nothing says I'm an older person in touch with the Utes like coloring your hair purple. Now, obviously this is a ridiculous person sent to me through this podcasting group. And what I mean is, is that, you know, it's, it, it seems exactly like a lefty thing to do to have somebody and she's wearing a hoodie too. So you take some old person and, and she's older, she's just older, throw them in a hoodie, give them pink hair. And now they can pretend they're an expert on the generation's younger than us. Generally speaking, if I'm going to hire an expert on Gen Z or millennial people, I think I would want to hire somebody that's a Gen Z and millennial, but you know, whatever. <laughs> but, but I guess her first suggestion would be to make sure you color your hair. Now, 
I've made posts in the past making fun of funny colored hair. I don't actually have an issue with people with funny colored hair. I know a lot of good conservative people who've colored their hair different colors and it's a different expression and it's cool to them or whatever. And that's fine. I, I, I don't actually have an issue there. It just seems like such pandering here on her part. To, to do that. Obviously pandering in order to sell a grift that she's somehow an expert on a working group. And of course, me posting that upset uh, a few number of people on the left. They took it very personal. I don't know if they just have different colored hair and they they took it personal or if it was per se the comments, the other comments that were going in because there's a lot of positive comments making fun of it. A lot of people understanding the Utes comment. Of course, that comes from uh, one of my favorite movies, My Cousin Vinny. Uh, it's a, I guess you'd call it an older movie um, about a lawyer in the South. But anyways. Uh, you check it out. See it if you've never seen it. My cousin Vinny. That's what it's called. Anyways. Um, and so a few people got that. And then some other people are commenting about how Gen Z and millennials don't like to work and yada, yada, yada. And I, I hear you on that comment. Um, I don't know if I'm, I think I'm a millennial technically. I believe I'm a millennial. And that's something to understand too. You know, millennials, I, I believe can be as old as like 40 years old now. So you're not like talking about really young people. And then of course the comments of they just don't want to work. And I think that has a little bit of one, a reflection on the generation before, if you're having a bunch of kids that don't want to work, well, you should ask about the people who raised them. You should maybe look in a mirror, but second off, I don't think it's as much that they uh, quote unquote, don't want to work. And I know we all feel the struggles of people taking jobs and quitting jobs and left and right. I deal with that in my companies too, as well. People show up for three days and then leave. And there's nothing you can do as an employer to absolutely at all change that. There's no way people want to blame, ah, oh, it's your work environment or this. It's they, sh they knew what the pay was. They showed up for three days and then they left. They just didn't want to do the job. Maybe they thought it wasn't paying enough, but when you're paying people way above market average for the job, like I do at a lot of my companies, um, well, then you just have to imagine they found something else or a different job or have some other reason that they left. But anyways, um, I don't think that's as much it. If you see any kind of, I think, laziness from Gen Z or millennials, I think it has to do more with the fact that a lot of people struggle with the uh, disillusion that comes with the American dream. Housing prices are going up and up and up exponentially, getting much more expensive in comparison to income levels, vehicles, and cars are as well. Now, I did hear an interesting uh, thought today when I was listening to um, a presentation on economic and workforce development that was going on in the legislature. I know, guys, I'm a nerd. Um, but anyways, I did hear an interesting thought uh, about how you know, people nowadays, what they call uh, thriving is a lot more expensive because thriving comes with a lot more, you know, rewind 20, 30 years, you know, uh, um, well, farther than that, 30, 40 years, uh, you know, appliances, you didn't have as many appliances, AC, heat, um, you know, what you're looking for, your size of your home, your fanciness of your car with all the bells and whistles and the looks and yada, 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 all that goes into it. They're not necessarily comparable items. And that's an interesting thought. But the point is, is that there, I think there's some disillusionment with the American dream because of how expensive everything's gotten and how large the quote unquote wealth gap is getting or perceived to be getting, um, being caused by actual cronyism, Terry, 
author from the last thing. That's actual cronyism when people are using government funds into private businesses to subsidize uh, private decisions. But anyways, um, and so there's some disillusionment there. There's a thought, maybe you can't make it. And I think a lot of that comes from um, just simply looking around and feeling like you're struggling, feeling like you're drowning under water. And there's a lot of difficulties. I can tell you as a business owner, there is many audits. There is a lot of paperwork that goes in to even owning simple businesses that, that don't even necessarily profit or don't even profit a lot. If they're just in startup phase or things like that, you get, uh, you know, the amount of places you got to file forms and, and, and manage that, um, can seem pretty, uh, hard and like an arduous task, something that certainly should be streamlined here in Kentucky, but regardless, um, and so I think there's some disillusionment there. I, I think people work and they wonder, you know, what am I working for? And, and I think a lot of that also comes from a breakdown of the nuclear family, a breakdown of personal responsibility of, of saying, hey, you know, the Judeo-Christian value says, look, you, you're a man, you're a woman, you're an adult, you take care of your own, you take care of your kids. Um, you know, what does success look like? And I think that's part of it too, because back in the day, I believe that success was defined a lot differently than today. Success back in the day was defined as you have a job, you can pay your own bills, you live uh, a comfortable life, you've got a roof over your head, food on the table, and uh, you have some time to yourself and family. And nowadays, I think success due to the internet and the mentality of seeing all these people making millions and everything else, success is just not defined that way. And I think there's a certain amount of uh, contentness um, you know, when you, when you don't think you have a life after this one, when you don't have a greater purpose, you're striving for like you do, if you have Judeo Christian values, ideas and values that aren't tied to this world, you're going to wander listlessly through this life, wondering what it's all about. And that's a pretty demotivating thought. That's just my humble opinion. But anyways, going back to how I upset the left here, there's two comments I wanted to zero in on really upset people. Here's the first one. Um, this is from a page called what has become of us. Um, I believe this is a long time trolls new page and I forgot her name and I forgot her name and I just for the life of me can't remember it, which is so weird that I know it's this troll because uh, of their associations here and this is what they do. Um, but I don't remember the name of the troll. And I don't know quite, I, I don't know what that says. I guess that says that they think more about me than I do them. But uh, this person said, and she has a better job than you do. And she has a better job than you do. That's pretty bold claim. Um, and I guess that goes into what I was just talking about. What do you mean by better job than I do? Um, even if she gets paid more than I do and, you have no idea what my financial situation is. I can tell you this much. There's a reason why the freedom to say what I want to say in front of a mic every day. And I'll tell you what, each episode takes me four to five hours a day to prepare, to edit, and to get together. This is an arduous task. So once again, plug, please like, comment, share, subscribe, leave a review, because there's a reason why not a lot of people are doing a daily show. In fact, I'm the only person in Kentucky doing a daily show on politics. And that is because most people don't have the ability or the time to do this. On top of that, I once again, I don't have a boss. You can't cancel me. Uh, you can't report me to my superiors. Um, so, you know, I guess it defines what do you mean by better job? Um, I, I think what I do is fine. 
I make an income. I make a living, right? I have time to myself. That's the things you should be looking for. So pretty extreme claim to make that she has a better job than I do. And then also on top of that, um, I believe I contribute more to society than somebody who gets paid to professionally talk about how you need to just pay, spend more money as a business. And, and I, I just, I struggle, I struggle uh, to see how that is a more productive job in society. In fact, um, she's a better job than you do. I would say that literally almost anybody has a better job than our, our millennial consultant person with pink hair has. And I say that because they actually are most likely contributing to society. Whether you're a cashier at Walmart, uh, a, a blue collar worker at a factory, a plumber, a, a executive at a company that actually produces a service or product that people want, I would say you're probably uh, uh, have a better job, in my opinion, than the purple haired lady consultant does because you actually contribute something of vast greater value just because she has learned how to grift off of the consultant thought process that people have and of throwing on a hoodie and coloring your hair purple doesn't mean she has a better job. And then there's this other comment here that says it's not a neck beard. That's for sure. Now I've heard that before about how my facial hair here, uh, they say is a, a neck beard to which I say that's impossible. Um, this beard here, uh, covers my second chin. And so therefore by definition, this must be a chin beard as it is on my chin covering it. In fact, um, on top of that too, I grew a mustache since, you know, I was running for office at the time to grow a mustache. So I think that adds to it, right? Certainly lifts it up. Um, but Hey, that's okay. If the best thing you got to attack me on is my facial hair, my appearance and not my ideas. Well, I must be doing something just right. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Kubreder Show. Thank y'all so, so much for joining us. 